The following is a CA original. Pouncer, the Palm Squad. Pre- and post-game parties on Beale Street. It's all part of the Memphis Tigers basketball game day experience. This is the Tiger Basketball Podcast. What's happening, Tiger basketball fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Basketball Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, commercial appeal sports columnist. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Munns, our Tiger basketball beat writer. We are coming to you uh, after Memphis got its uh, second win of the year in its home opener, beating VCU 62-47. And uh, here we are now a couple days away from them uh, going to Orlando for a Thanksgiving holiday tournament, the ESPN Invitational, uh, where they'll play three games. So a lot to get to. We'll recap the VCU game. We'll look ahead to the ESPN Invitational, uh, and maybe we'll dive into some stories about Demarie Franklin's eligibility and uh, also uh, maybe give our thoughts on, uh, I guess, a storyline that's emerged uh, here in the last 24 hours or so about the players that aren't on this team that were on last year's team and what they're doing uh, with their new team. So a lot to get to in this Thanksgiving edition of the Tiger Basketball Podcast. But let's start here, Jason. Um, let's start with that VCU win. Tigers improved to 2-1. and one. Um, Kendrick Davis was marvelous, 26 points, 7 assists. Um, and the defense was as stingy as it's been in, in a long time, holding VCU to 16 points in the first half, 47 points overall, under 30% from the field. Um, a, a dramatic uh, reversal or, or correction, course correction from the St. Louis game when the Tigers gave up 90 points in that loss. Um, what was uh, what to you was most encouraging about that win? Was it that we saw Kendrick Davis sort of play at that conference player of the year level for the first time it felt like? Or was it the way this Tiger team played defense? I mean, I would, I would, if I had to pick one or the other, honestly, I would, I would go with Kendrick Davis. I mean, it's, that's the obvious answer. And I think that's for good reason. Um, I don't, I don't think that, uh, you know, you, you, it's hard to, to overstate his value uh, to this team and and you know he put it all out there uh for everybody to see um on sunday i mean like and 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 the the really for a couple of reasons i i i'm i'm going this route as opposed to how they played defense um number one it's the health situation like Kendrick did not look right um against uh Vanderbilt or against st louis like he he looked you know, like, like almost like he was half a step slower than what we had grown accustomed to, uh, getting from him, uh, or, or, you know, like when he was on the other side, obviously when he was on uh, at SMU, like, you know, he, he, uh, every time you saw him on the floor, he was, he was, you know, arguably one of the, if not the best player on the floor, one of the best players on the floor. And, um, he just looked like he was half a step slower than that in those first two games. And so like, honestly, like it, 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 I'm sure it was worrying 
uh, quite a few people like, uh, oh, what what's going on here? Is it, you know, are, are, are my eyes deceiving me? And if so, are there, if not, if they're not, are there like, what are the reasons for this? Is it because he's being a little too deferential or a little more deferential than what uh, he, he, he was at SMU or is it like just part, you know, is it part of the game plan? What's the deal or is it, you know, a health uh, situation? And, you know, that's all anybody ever kept, kept saying the whole time was, you know, that he's dealing with these ankle problems. And so if that's the case and, you know, we talked to him after the, the VCU game and he said that he practiced more going into that game than he had going into the previous two. And so it sounds like he's starting to get over it and it showed it's VCU. So hopefully that's all it was in those first two games is that he was a little bit banged up and now he's getting over it. And if that's actually the case, then that is a huge development. That's, that's a, that's a great sign for Memphis um, going forward. But the other part of it, the other facet of this, of the point that I'm making is that, you know, VCU is a scrappy bunch, man. Like they, they, they especially defensively, like they, they're a lot like Memphis and uh, on defense. And, you know, everybody has been saying, you know, every, every team that Memphis faces, they always laud Penny Hardaway's uh, defensive approach and his strategy and stuff. And, um, you know, VCU looked a lot like, you know, they, they, they employed, a defense a lot like Memphis's and for Kendrick Davis to sort of use their aggressiveness against them um, by being ultra aggressive himself and, and scoring 26 points and giving out seven assists. I, I think that's, uh, I think that's another uh, really, really, really positive sign. And, and I mean, like the other part of it is, I, I don't think I ever was like super worried about Memphis's defense, even after giving up 90 points to St. Louis. I like, yeah. I guess I trust, I guess I trusted that Penny and the coaching staff was going to get that fixed, get that corrected and, and, and get it, you know, that seemed more of like a blip on the radar screen than what we were seeing out of Kendrick, those first two games. So, uh, yeah, to me, it's it, the bigger, the bigger, um, the more, uh, important development is is Kendrick getting right well and I thought the two really impressive things to me were first half he scores 17 points outscores VCU by himself um outscores him 17 16 but then the second half when VCU adjusts defense he throw he ends up dishing out six of his seven assists in the second half like the way he just you know basically adjusted his game to what VCU was doing was really impressive to me. Um, how he how he got all those points. So I agree with you. I think because ultimately they they're the way this team is composed. And I thought this was really interesting. Kendrick talked about it after the game. Um, the way this team is composed, the way it's constructed, especially right now without Demaria Franklin, like they need Kendrick Davis to be ultra aggressive. Doesn't necessarily mean he has to shoot the ball every possession, but he needs to be a playmaker basically every possession. That the way this team is constructed, when he's out there, he needs to have his foot on the gas pedal, so to speak, um, because he is the one true, you know, 
one true creator they've got, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot on his shoulders in that regard. And it was good to see, even with a, not just that he performed really well, but even when the defense basically made, you know, was designed to just stop him in the second half, he was able to find teammates for good looks and they were able to convert them and they got a comfortable win out of it. Um, you know, I think other things that were important in that game, obviously, like you said, the defense, like they are going to, that formula they used against VCU, Kendrick Davis being the best player on the floor, DeAndre Williams nearly giving you a double-double, um, and ferocious defense. Like, if this team's going to be good, that's what it's going to be, right? Like, that's yeah, got to yeah. be what it is. Like, that to me feels like the formula, the 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 script, if you will, that they're going to have to follow. And I think if they do that, like I think they're like I've said all along, I think they're going to be a pretty good team if they can successfully do that. Um, so that's why I found, you know, the VCU game encouraging. Now it was a little, you know, I don't know what to make of the fact that St. Louis after beating Memphis went out and got absolutely throttled by Maryland. Um, now Maryland moved into the top 25. It appears they're a pretty good team. Um, but nonetheless, what we've seen in these two wins over Vanderbilt and VCU, and and we'll see how good both those teams are by the end of the year. I suspect Vanderbilt is going to be among the worst teams in the SEC. I think VCU will be like a, you know, NIT type of team probably, right? Um, yeah. And well, I mean, uh, let I mean they they were without their best player. The other day, um, they were missing their point guard. They were missing their point guard. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, like, who's to say what can happen if, you know, like when he gets back, um, maybe maybe they stay atop or, or, you know, maybe they're good enough to challenge St. Louis and Dayton for the for the conference for the A-10 uh, title. I mean, yeah, I mean, like as as it sits right now, it does feel very much like they're an IT type team. Yeah. Yeah, but but I liked what I've seen out of this Memphis team, how they play, how they seem to kind of their roles are pretty set right now in terms of they, they all the guys on the there's a pecking order. All the guys seem to know what they're supposed to do now, whether they can execute it all the time that, you know, obviously that's not necessarily the case. They had 18 turnovers, for instance, uh, in that game against VCU. That's you know, it's going to be hard to get away with that a lot of times. Now they forced 18 turnovers, too. So that helped. Um, and they, you know, an underrated part of that game was if, you know, they both committed 18 turnovers, VCU and Memphis, Memphis turned those turnovers into 26 points. VCU turned those turnovers into 11 points. Um, right. and that was literally the difference in the game, 15 points. Um, yep. so even though Memphis committed a lot of turnovers, it did feel like a decent amount of them were were dead ball turnovers, which aren't, you know, generally as costly. Um, they don't create immediate fast breaks. Um, you know, it was interesting. We had a new starting lineup uh, in this VCU game. You had, I'm curious what you thought of it. It was Kendrick Davis, Alex Lomax, Jaden Hardaway in for Keontae Kennedy, DeAndre Williams at the four and then Chandler Lawson in for Malcolm Dandridge. Um, what'd you make of the lineup slash rotation changes that Penny Hardaway made? I mean, I'm fine with it. Um, you know, you're doing, you're it's, I mean, again, like we all know 
the way Penny Hardaway treats his starting lineups uh, is, is, you know, there's just not a lot of weight to the fluid situation, Jason. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And like, it just, it, it's not like a, uh, anything that really amounts to much, but at the same time, you know, it counts for something. Uh, so I, I was totally, I was fine with it given the circumstances. Um, you know, try like Keontae Kennedy is still trying to sort of uh, get his legs underneath him, you know, new system, new city, new everything. Um, you know, he's been pretty good. Uh, through three games, and he was just as good, if not a little bit better. I mean, he was four or five from the field, uh, one of two from three. Um, you know, so like him coming off the bench worked. Yeah, it's uh, been a little spurty with him. Like it's like he yeah. gets his, he does his work in bunches. You know, like he'll be, he he's been quiet a little too long in games, but he'll have these four to five minute stretches where you go, oh, this this could be the third best player on the team potentially. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. But um, I mean, it, it was just the way things played out against St. Louis, like Keontae, Keontae's, I guess, not proven himself yet enough of a three point threat to to account for the lack of production that you're going to get on the perimeter from your shooting guard, from your two guard, from Alex Lomax. So. I think in that way, Penny thought he had to get, you know, Jaden Hardaway into the starting lineup to help Kendrick Davis to, to, you know, give him some room to cook. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it appeared to work. Uh, so I don't know if it's going to work every night, um, but it seemed to work. I didn't have an issue with Keontae Kennedy coming off the bench. You know, we've heard now that, that, that Malcolm Dandridge is, Kind of, I would assume the reason he came out of the game or he didn't start the game was because of uh, some some knee problems. They're starting to crop up a little bit again. Um, Penny called him in the in the availability before the game. He called him so so when asked about his. When he said he's on a minutes limit, he said he's on a minutes limit. Yeah, and and if I'm not mistaken, he said it was like no more than 16 minutes on the pregame radio broadcast, and he played exactly 16 minutes. So. You know, for that reason, uh, I think, I, I, yeah, I don't have an issue with with Chandler Lawson starting the game. I mean, and, and and not just because of that. I mean, Chandler's, you know, he's he's a very good defender. He's he's consistent. He's he's Penny has talked about how um, uh, like his basketball IQ is among the best on the team. And so, you know, you put a guy out there uh, like that, and and it should. Uh, you know, it should it should uh, pay dividends, and and I think it did. Um, even though I think he only scored one basket, um, you know, he had a few rebounds and 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 helped helped affect the game, uh, despite not, you know, despite it not all showing up uh, in the box score. Yeah, my my gut says the starting lineup they'll eventually get to. I don't know when. Um, there's a lot of factors at play, but it doesn't it feel like, you know. As much as Jaden gives you some stretch in the stretch the floor potential there, like ultimately the starting lineup, I think that's probably like I don't know if he'll stick with it ultimately because again we mentioned Penny and is kind of fickle with these starting lineups, but feels to me it's it's 
Kendrick Davis, Demarie Franklin, if and when he gets eligible, Keontae Kennedy at the three, DeAndre at the four, and then maybe Chandler at the five. Feels like to me like, you know, and I guess Chandler or Malcolm, depending on the circumstances, at the five. Um, That's what it feels like to me. Now, obviously, we don't know when or if Demarie Franklin's going to be ruled eligible. Um, and I know some people have been harping on, you know, Alex Lomax was one of seven from the field after going 0 of 8 from the field against um, against uh, St. Louis. Um, but, I, you know, we should point out he was the, a, a team best plus 26 in this game, Alex Lomax was. Had a couple key plays down the stretch when Memphis uh, broke, kind of broke the game open. Um and I would just point out to people who are complaining about it, about Alex's usage again, like, I don't think this is a case of Penny is playing guys who he's playing him above guys who he shouldn't be playing him above. I think it's at a necessity right now because Demarie Franklin is ineligible. And I think we saw against VCU, like Jonathan Lawson gives you something but he's not ready to be a secondary ball handler and he's not ready to be a guy who locks up defensively against another team's best perimeter player. And that's what Kendrick Davis needs. Like people aren't paying. If you're like, if you really pay close attention to this, what Penny's trying to do is on offense, he wants another ball handler out there who can take some of the pressure off of Kendrick and defensively, Kendrick is not some great defender. And frankly, and I've said this, I said this on air to you on my radio show, Muns. Like, I feel like it's kind of like a John Morant thing where, like, I don't know if you want him to have to be a great defender guarding right. the best player on the other, other team because you want him to have energy. You need so much from him on the offensive end. I don't think you want him taking on that load defensively, too. And Lomax can handle that. You know, I know he's smaller, but like, that's kind of what he's doing right now. He's handling the ball a little bit to relieve some of the pressure off of Kendrick. And he's taking on the the, the best defensive assignment on the perimeter. Um, and he's the only one on the roster who's kind of equipped to do that right now, I think. I think the conversation changes if and when Demarie Franklin is available. Then he now, – now, if you're telling me Alex Lomax is playing big minutes still then – well, then I think we can start to wonder. But right now, I really think the usage is more out of necessity than anything else. And, like, people, like, yeah. honestly, like, it, it just doesn't feel like something you should be complaining about. Yeah, he hasn't had a great offensive start to the year. In fact, his numbers are really bad. But I don't know. I guess a little bit in that St. Louis game when he kept taking, getting open shots and missing them, you felt like, oh, man, this is not going well. But, like, by and large, you know, it hasn't been great, but it also hasn't been like some disaster just because he's missing some shots. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's not a total loss. Uh, like, in fact, he's doing he's, things they need. He's doing things they yeah, need. Yeah. It's just people are focused on the fact that he's not hitting shots. Right. right. The fact that the shots not falling. I mean, and, and you brought up Jonathan Lawson. Like, he, he does seem to be the. Um, Really, the only other logical choice, like if you were going to take Alex out of the lineup and, and put somebody else there. Well, you could like play you could the, play McCadden and Kennedy, you know, like you could put McCadden in there, too, maybe, you know, you could. 
Um, yeah. But he hasn't played like honestly, like you know, Alex Lomax had more of an impact on that VCU game than Elijah McCadden did. You know, like right. McCadden right. McCadden had four points, two rebounds, was a minus two. He had the worst plus minus in the St. Louis game. Um, so it's uh, you know, I, I just think it's like per you know until they get Franklin back or in the lineup. Like, I don't know if Penny has that many choices. Yeah, right. No, I agree with you. And I think, going back to what I was going to say about, about Jonathan Lawson, like, there is, like, this is, this has absolutely nothing to do with, with, like, whether Jonathan Lawson can do it. It's just, like, it just, it, it feels like right now that he's not quite ready to shoulder the same type of load that, that, that Alex Lomax is being asked to shoulder um, mm-hmm. offensively and defensively. And I mean, like, you know, like we've, we've seen that, that yes, Jonathan Lawson can give you something offensively and, and, you know, it's like, and, and I think he is a capable defender, but he is not a plus defender yet. Um, and it, it just feels like Alex is going through a slump. Like, with with his shot and with um and with what he's doing uh from a score like attempting to score it just feels like he's going through a little bit of a slump right now i mean nobody was complaining after the the vanderbilt game when he had 10 points and 10 rebounds and and uh and they won the season opener um by not you know comfortably um nobody was complaining then and and it just yeah i i i I agree with you that it's it's more so out of necessity at this point. And and yes, one hundred percent, this conversation is totally different if and when Demarie Franklin is is deemed eligible. Well, along those lines, what's the latest there, Muns? You're about to go to Orlando for this tournament, um, I believe. Over at CommercialPeel.com, you've got an update on this situation. What is the latest on the Demarie Franklin front? Yeah, so we're recording, what is today? Tuesday. Uh, we're recording uh, Tuesday early evening, and um, uh, it, it does not feel like, after initially uh, the expectation was that Memphis would hear something possibly by now, um, it, it, it appears that's not going to happen. It appears... Uh, whatever the outcome of this is going to be, it's going to come next week and probably toward the latter part of next week. Um, like I said, Memphis, Memphis is Memphis was expecting to get some sort of resolution on this, uh, you know, sometime this week, but, uh, it seems as though the NCAA sometime within the last couple of days reached out to Memphis and requested, some uh, supplemental paperwork, um, some additional paperwork uh, with regard to Demarie's waiver, waiver request, and uh, Memphis has, of course, provided that. But because the NCAA uh, felt it was necessary to uh, make this ask, uh, to, to ask for this additional paperwork. Uh, that's going to extend the expectation is that it's going to extend the deadline. I mean, like the timeline a little bit further. So, um, you know, whether, whether it's a yes or a no, 
whether it's an approval or a denial, it's likely going to uh, not going to happen this week. So he's not going to play more than likely. He's not going to play um, uh, in Orlando. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be toward the back half of, uh, of next week. Um, well, that's a bummer. Um, yeah, it, <laughs> that's a bummer. Cause like, I mean, this is, I mean, you need some, you need some depth. You're playing three games in four days, basically, um, yeah. at this tournament that they're about to go to. Um, well, not only from the team perspective, I talked to his dad, uh, talked to Demarie's dad, Johnny Franklin. Uh, he actually reached out to me, um, and asked me what I thought the, this latest development meant. And I told him, I don't really know. I like trying to guess what the NCAA is thinking is, is, uh, is, is not usually a, 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 an easy thing to do, but he just, you know, the way he, the, the word he used was, uh, about this whole ordeal is it's just been draining and I can, I can, I can totally, I can totally get that. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been hard. It's, it's, it's not great for the team because they need him, but it's also, you know, it sucks for, uh, for DeMarie and, and his family who are just trying to, you know, like they, they just want to know one way or the other. I don't think at this point it really even matters to them one way or the other. They just want to know. Yeah. Yeah. No, hopefully this thing gets sorted out soon. Cause you know, you'd hate to like, it, you know, at a certain point it's, you just don't want it to drag. It's already dragged on long enough. Hopefully this yeah. thing gets cleared up. I mean, Memphis has games after this t- event has games against what Little Rock, right? And then Ole Miss. I would hope oh, North, North, oh, North Alabama. Alabama. You're right. Yeah, and then Ole November Miss. 30th. Yeah. I would Ole hope. I would. I would hope this gets. Let's hope he's playing by the Ole Miss game on December third. Um, right. You know, frankly, you'd like to see him in for the North Alabama game so he can get like a low stress game before the Ole Miss game in. Yeah. Um. Yeah, hopefully this works out in his favor and in the Tigers favor. Cause it does seem like they could use them before we go to that tournament. It's interesting. We're talking about Franklin. There's another interesting narrative popping up in the tiger basketball world today. Again, we're recording this on Tuesday because last night Landers Nolly went off for 33 points with Cincinnati went nine of 14 or nine of 13 for three point range at the Maui invitational. And if you look around the country, you know, given the roster turnover Memphis and a lot of places have had, um, you know, you have like a basically an entire team of players who used to play at Memphis at, you know, big schools. Like I was just looking around. You got Boogie Ellis still at USC, Musa Cisse still at Oklahoma State, uh, Damian Baugh at TCU, uh, Tyler Harris at South Florida, the aforementioned Landers Nolly at Cincinnati. Um, I know I'm forgetting one other. Um but regardless, a lot of different guys are playing college DJ basketball. Jeffries. DJ Jeffries at Mississippi State. Um, yeah. So there's all these guys. And given this team's struggle to shoot the ball, you know, the, the, in the aftermath of that game last night, there's been some, you've heard it on social media, like, oh, man, Tigers could really use Landers Nolly right about now. Um, you know, with that lack of shooting. And I would agree, like on the court, on the surface, like, yeah, the current situation Memphis is in, would Landers Nolly be a nice piece to have? Sure. Um, but I think the whole narrative is so flawed because, and I just wanted to, to 
address it here with you because it does feel like it's almost like revisionist history in that like it doesn't account for all the different other factors. It wasn't just Landers, Nolly, and Memphis. You know, Memphis ultimately decided to part ways with Landers, Nolly, and Tyler Harris. And I say this as someone who, you know, came, you know, wrote a column like kind of in disbelief that they allowed that they wanted Tyler Harris gone. Um, but at the same time, it is important to keep in mind the circumstances of when that happened. Penny Hardaway thought he was going to have Lester Quinones back. And then he thought he was going to have Emmanuel Acott. And then even now he thought he was going to have Demarie Franklin. Um, and so right. to, to like kind of ignore that and just say like, Oh man, Landers Nolly would look great on this team. I don't know. Seems kind of, it just seems, it doesn't seem like the right approach on the surface. It may seem that simple, but it really isn't that simple. No, it isn't. And I mean, you mentioned uh, Demarie, and you mentioned Emmanuel Acott, and you mentioned Lester Quinones. I mean, those aren't the only ones that Memphis was sort of uh, they they felt good about going into. I mean, they felt very good about Caleb Murphy. Not that Caleb Murphy is some you know hot shot three point. Not that he's going to ever go out and hit nine threes in a game. Like Landers Nolly, but uh, you know that there was a there was a thought that they were going to that they. But, but I bring up the three I mentioned because like they had Lester Quinones, they had right. Emmanuel Acott, they have yeah. Demarie Franklin. Even even if you take out the what ifs of recruiting, they had these guys like the Lester Quinones. Like imagine this team if you had Kendrick Davis, Lester Quinones, and DeAndre Williams is like the foundation of it. Like, it'd be a really good team. It's still a pretty good team, in my opinion, frankly. But, you know, Lester would have taken it to a different level. No, to me, I, I actually was talking a couple of weeks ago to somebody, and I said, is there, like, what one player who was on the roster last year, if you could only pick one player who was on the roster last year, who has eligibility, who had eligibility left, who's, who's not at Memphis anymore, but you could get one of them back? Whether that was Josh Minot, whether it was Jalen Duran, whether it was Lester Landers, Tyler, Imani Bates, you know. We forgot uh, about him as a guy playing elsewhere, yeah, by the way. Right. Imani. Right. Yeah. Imani Bates. Um, so like which one of those of that group would you if you could if you could just magically bring one back? And my answer then a couple of weeks ago was Lester Quinones, and it still is today. I mean, like, he is to me the one that really sort of threw a, a, a wrench into into the setup of the of of you know going into this season um I, I don't I don't think they were necessarily thinking until it happened or at least until maybe a week or two before it happened that they weren't going to have him this season and and and, and they certainly weren't thinking they weren't going to have him this season when they, you know, when, when Landers Nolly and Tyler Harris were, and Amani Im and Bates were um, going through their stuff back in March and April. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it, as you said, it's it, at, at least it's um, at the very, at the very least it's revisionist history. And it just, it's, it's kind of irrelevant, honestly, because like, 
that's not what's what you what you're working with so really okay but but the other part of this is the other the other point that i would like to make here is tyler harris is shooting 27 percent from three-point range this season and Mm -hmm. that's after that's after he was five of ten from three-point range against uab on uh on monday night like he was he's he has not shot the ball well this season now of course you feel like tyler's probably going to find a groove and and come out of it well, but like well, that's 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 uh, i'll take that back that's the type of player he was same with landers like once every three or four games he was gonna you know like he is who he was as a college player a you know a streaky shooter who can fill it up when he's hot and i understand the temptation to talk about landers now he hit nine threes in a game and that's a lot and that's very impressive but before, like what about the time he hit seven points in a loss to northern kentucky and what about the fact that he was like four of 19 from three before he hit before he was nine out of 10 like, again, I, I would go. He's the player. He was at Memphis every four right. or five games. He would have a big game. That's what he was at right. Memphis. He's the player. He was at Memphis. Right. So all these guys uh, are boogie Musa. You look at all these guys, you know, down the line who transferred. It's not like they've gone to these other schools and been, you know, suddenly been a different player than they were at Memphis, by and large. Maybe Damian Ball feels like yeah, he's has been yeah, better was, at his new school than at Memphis. Yeah, I was gonna say of the of the of the of the whole group, even maybe even Musa Sise, uh and Damian Ball. I think those two are the top two in terms of um Musa right know, now is averaging nine points, eleven rebounds, three and a half blocks. That's pretty good. Yeah, um, like they, you know, I think early. he and Damian, I think he and Damian have kind of shown some growth. The rest of them are still pretty much what, you know, what, what they were. And, um, yeah. and that's just on the court that we're not talking about the off the court stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting stuff. I'm sure people will bring it up at various points, uh, certainly because Tyler Harris and Landers are going to play Memphis two times this year because they're in the league. Um, so oh, yeah. that will be, uh, that will certainly be a subplot to those games. All right, let's look ahead real quick to what Memphis has on tap in this ESPN Invitational. They play Seton Hall at 6.30 on Thanksgiving evening uh, in Orlando. Um, and then they play the winner. They play either, not the winner, the either Nebraska or Oklahoma at either 5 o'clock or 7.30, I believe, or 4 o'clock. I think that's right. Um, but yeah, uh, on like on Friday. Um, and then, but it's, uh, and then they'll play, you know, there's a several other teams, you know, maybe Stanford, maybe Ole Miss, maybe Florida State, maybe Siena, I believe, are the other teams on the other side of the bracket that you'll play in the third game. Um, the field is... Uh, not that great, to be honest. It's got some names, but Florida State is having a terrible start to the year right now. Um, yeah. You know, honestly, I believe Memphis and Seton Hall, if you go by the current Ken Palm ratings, are the two best teams in terms of Ken Palm rating in the field. And Oklahoma is the third best Ken Palm rating in the field. So you could potentially, if you're Memphis, if you beat Seton Hall, and Oklahoma beats Nebraska, or you lose to Seton Hall and Oklahoma loses Nebraska, in terms of Ken Palm rating, you're playing the two best teams in the field in your first two games. Yeah, I mean, like, 
depending on how things go and play out the rest of the season, those two games have at least a, a slight potential to be quad one games, whether they're, you know, they'd have to be out. top 50 in the net at the end of the right. year to be a quad one game on a neutral court. My gut tells me neither will be, my gut tells me Memphis is going to play nothing but quad two games in this tournament. And if they play Siena in the last game, maybe it's quad three or quad four game. But I think, I don't know if they're going to get a quad one game out of this tournament, unfortunately. And maybe they don't, but that's still fine. Like, at least you're not, I'm trying to think, uh, like, who do they play? They play Iowa State at the MTE last year, and that was obviously. Virginia Tech. They they played Virginia Tech and Iowa State. And the Virginia Tech game, both ended up being quad one games. And you got a quad one win out of Virginia Tech when they got hot at the end of the year. Right, right, right. But given, but given the other thing is like the rest of the non-conference schedule is so is what it is that you don't necessarily you're not counting on as much. I mean, like Memphis really needed those two games uh, on the on schedule last. I don't think you want to come out of this going one and two. I think you're looking to go two and one or better in this thing. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I think that should be that's how you should look at it. Is like we want to go two and one in this event. At least. Right. And, you know, I think you can go 3-0. and Like, there is no team in this tournament who you go, oh, Memphis is going to be an underdog in that game. Like, they're not, probably. Right. Um, right. And so I think you want to go 2-1 and one or better. Um, if you can beat Seton Hall, if you get Seton Hall in Oklahoma, even better, it seems like, based on the ratings, um, that'd be great. Um, and so we'll how, see. How, how do you feel about the potential of uh, – Memphis playing Ole Miss twice in a week. Um, I mean, it's happened before. It's funny. I was actually talking to Trey Draper about this. Um, there were, they played in this event, but he was telling me about a team he was on that played in this event and, um, also played, they played Memphis played a team like twice in a season. I forget who it was. I'm sure a listener will be able to tell us via, Twitter or whatever at some point when they listen to this, but um, it's not unheard of. I mean, you know, it wouldn't be, I'd rather play Ole Miss than play Siena, you know, like I'd rather play Ole Miss twice than have to play Siena, a game that's not going to do anything for you. So I'd look at it like that. Well, from a resume, like, is is there some sort of like quirk in the formula and the net formula do you think that, that might dock you from, for, for because you're playing the same team? I don't think so. Um, no, I think it's just the fact that Ole Miss, unfor- like right now, you know, they're missing. I, it'll be interesting if Ole Miss has Deshaun Ruffin. He hasn't been playing for them, their best player. Um, yeah, he's very good. Yeah. So um, that'll be an interesting caveat there. But um, my gut tells me they won't play Ole Miss. They'll they'll get Florida State or Stanford or Siena. Right. That's my that's yeah, my we'll, guess. We shall what? see. We shall see. Yeah. Well, Jason will be down there. He's spending Thanksgiving in Orlando to chronicle all the action for us. So make sure you are checking out his work over at commercialappeal.com. I'll be uh maybe writing a column or two remotely. Uh, from Memphis, but uh, make sure you are following along with Jason as he'll have all of your updates. Till next week, I was Mark. That was Jason. I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, hopefully we're uh, ret- we're coming back to you next week via podcast talking about a uh, 
ESPN Invitational Championship, the thing everyone dreams of winning when they when they start playing college basketball. The Tiger Basketball Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.